0: I'd love you to um, find a Bible if you've got a Bible or grab it on your phone. Um, It'll also be up on the screen. John 13. John 13. And we're spending this whole term looking at one evening from Jesus' life. The whole term on one evening. Because this one evening is an extraordinary moment. And Jesus is delivering to his disciples some devastating news. He's telling them that he's leaving. That's basically the message. Jesus is leaving his disciples. He's going to go to the cross and die, rise, and return to his Father in heaven. And for his disciples, this is confusing. It's mind-blowing. It's earth-shattering news for them. And Jesus is preparing them. And last week, we were seeing that Jesus has told his disciples that one of them, one of this 12, one of this band of brothers, is going to betray him. Just imagine how that would feel. These are your closest friends. You spent three years together. You've been through so many things. And Jesus looks around and he says, one of you will betray me. It's Devastating. And Judas then leaves even taking the bread, that final act of love from Jesus, Judas leaves and goes into the night and we're picking up the story in verse 31. So John chapter 13 verse 31 When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him If God is glorified in him God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once my children i will be with you only a little longer you will look for me and just as i told the jews so i tell you now where i am going you cannot come a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, You will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that you also may be where I am you know the way to the place where I'm going. I mean, even just reading it, it it's the words that are so powerful. I want you to look at the very first word Jesus says in this passage you just read. The very first word that Jesus says, as soon as Judas has left and has gone out into the darkness of night, Jesus says the word, Now. Now. That's a powerful word. You see, there's something about the word now that our culture loves, our world loves, that resonates deeply within us. We want a moment that happens now. Give me one moment in time when I'm all that I hoped I could be, when all of my dreams are a something away and something else and then in that one I was going to sing it but I'm not singing and then in that one moment of time I will be free and you don't even know this song it's Whitney Houston right it's a classic and then in that one moment of time I will feel eternity that's what she sang I want one moment honestly if you're students here you're like this church what is this church He's quoting Whitney Houston. I know, I'm sorry. It's the best I can manage. Here's the point. I want one moment in time. And even if you're not a great big Whitney Houston fan, which you may not be, there is something about I want one moment. I want my life to count. I want a moment that I can live for. I want a moment where I will be free. I want a moment where I will feel eternity. I want a moment when I understand what life is really all about. We ache for a moment where we can say, now, it's now, this is what life is all about. Here's my big claim and my big thing I want you to see this afternoon. This is it. This now. When Jesus says now, that's the moment Whitney Houston was longing for. Give me just one moment in time, this this one moment in time. Because if you can know this one moment in time, you will be free and you will feel eternity. That's the significance of Jesus saying, now. See, up until this point in John's gospel, he's saying, not now, not yet, not yet. He turns water into wine, not yet. He raises an official son. He heals a paralyzed man by a pool. He feeds hungry people with bread. He opens the eyes of the blind. He walks on water. Not yet, not yet, not yet. This isn't it. This isn't now. This is the moment. That's the weight of what we're dealing with. And here in this one moment of time, Jesus says this is what's going to happen. And when something happens now, what that means is it's bringing into existence something new. There's something about to change. When I say it's happening now, that means something that wasn't happening then is now about to happen. There's something new that Jesus is about to do. I'm going to show you three new things. This is where we're heading. Firstly, we're going to see a new glory. There's a new glory to be seen. Then we're going to hear a new command from Jesus. And then we're going to see a new confidence that Jesus gives us. That's where we're heading, okay, if you want to know. And in case you're interested, I think the new confidence is the one that most of us need to hear most clearly this afternoon. So stick with it for the end. But let's dive into this. A new glory. Look what Jesus says in verse 31. Now, okay, we're going to move past this first word, get to the second word. Now, the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify himself at once. I think it doesn't take genius to work out that Jesus is talking about glory and about being glorified. But it is quite a complicated sentence. What does Jesus mean? What's he talking about? Well, Jesus is saying, you're about to see A glory that you've never seen before. Now, when I talk about new, what what I mean, this is going to be important as we go through this. When I talk about new, I'm not talking about something that's never existed before. I'm talking about something that's already existed, but is now to be seen in a new, bigger, more glorious way. So I guess it's like um, running the London Marathon. Did anyone run the London Marathon today? Anyone downstairs? No. No. Oh, shame. Never mind. Um, when, when, when you run the London Marathon, <laughs> just when you do, when you run the London Marathon and when you break the world record, right? it's a new world record. That doesn't mean that no one's ever seen running before. It's not like you go, wow, that's completely new. It's new in the sense that it's running, but not as we've ever seen it before. It's new. There was someone running the London Marathon today dressed as a cupcake. Can you imagine how demoralising it is to get overtaken by a cupcake? <laughs> and to be honest, that's going to be a lot of people's experience, because she ran it in four hours dressed as a cupcake. Yeah. Someone else was running it in ski boots. I think that's harder. Why would you do that? Anyway. But my point is that a new world record doesn't mean that someone's invented a new way to run. It's that they're running, they're doing this thing that human beings have been doing for a long time, but no one's ever seen it like this before. It's new. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus has always been the glorious Son of God. He's always been glorified. He's always had glory. But something's about to happen now that is going to show us it in a very new way. Because he is about to be glorified. Now, it's weird here because he talks about himself as the son of man. Now, the son of man is glorified. Why does Jesus call himself that? It's a reference back to a book called Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And there's a moment in Daniel chapter 7 where the ancient of days, God himself is on the throne. And this figure, a son of man, comes into his presence and he is given glory. And here's what I want you to know about this glory of Jesus. It is given to him. It's not grabbed. See, if you go back to the London Marathon, the person who won the London Marathon and goes through the tape and grabs the tape and raises their arms aloft and they get glory, it is something they have gained for themselves. Something they've achieved, something they've grabbed. And they've grabbed it from all the other people who are coming over the line, dying behind them. Jesus doesn't grab glory. In fact, he lets glory go, right? Over and over again, he lets glory go. He lets it go. He serves. He even gets down to wash stinking, filthy feet. And he says, but you're about to see me be given glory. This is a glory that is given. This challenges are grabbing at glory that we so often pursue in our lives. We grab it, right? We want to be known we want, us, we want our one moment in time. Well, this one moment in time was given to Jesus. But it's not just given, it's also a shared glory. Now, this is really important, and this is why we're going to get into the detail of this complicated sentence. Because Jesus says the Son of Man is glorified, that's him, and God is glorified in him. So as Jesus is glorified, so God. God is glorified. You get that? There's a sharing of this glory. And then he flips it around the other way. He says, if God is glorified in him, then God will glorify the Son. So it's Jesus saying, when I'm glorified, my Father is glorified, and if my Father is glorified, then he will glorify me. There's a kind of a glory circle as the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son, gl- no. as the Son glorifies the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son, there's this glory circle. It's a shared glory. You may say, "Big deal. This is who cares." I tell you why you should care. Because God never shares His glory with anyone. That's why you should care. Because in a, in Isaiah 42, God is crystal clear. God says in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. You see, there is only one God. There is no one else who is worthy of glory. You don't, no other being gets glory. No idol gets glory. No human gets glory. You don't give glory to anyone other than God. That's not God being selfish. That's God doing what's right. Because he's glorious. And so for the Jews reading John's gospel, that they would know that, the, that God gets glory. And then suddenly Jesus says, he gives me glory. I give him glory. How can that be? That's what John has shown us over and over again in his gospel. Jesus is the son of God who is one with his father in heaven. Father and son, equally God. And how is this glory going to be shown? What is it in this moment in time? If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. It's now, Jesus says. Well, what is about to happen? What has triggered this moment of glory? It is Judas leaving to go into the night. Once Judas had left, Jesus says, now. You see, Judas leaving has pulled the trigger for all that's about to unfold. Because here is the thing that will blow your mind. It is when Jesus dies on a cross that he is glorified. You know, doesn't look like glory. Right? That looks like weakness. Glory is about winning, right? Glory is about raising your arms in victory, not having your arms stretched out in agony. How's that Glory. It's glory because there, in that one moment of time, God puts himself on display and says, here I am. Here I am in all my justice. As God gives his own son to die on a cross to take the just punishment that sin deserves, here is God's justice. Here is God's holiness. As God says, I cannot tolerate sin. I cannot excuse or ignore sin. Here is God's wisdom as he provides a way for sin to be dealt with but for sinners to be saved. Here is God's love that stretches out his arms and says, I love you. I pay for your sins so that you can know God. This is glory. The glory of Jesus is seen as he gives himself, as he's lifted up on a cross for all to see. This is a new glory. No one's ever seen anything like this. And if you say, well, how do we know that that's true glory? Well, because three days later he was alive again. <laughs> and then he returned to heaven to his father. He's glorified. He's been given glory, a shared glory, Father and Son glorifying one another. And we may say that all sounds a little bit insular. No, no, that is good news for us. Because that glory means that we get to share and that glory, that relationship. But we'll see a lot more of that in John 17, so we'll, we'll move on. That's, so, first, it's the moment of glory. If you want to know what glory is about, it's that. We should give up all our pathetic ambitions of breaking the world record of the marathon. Look, if you're quick at running, great. Go and dress yourself up as an ice cube and go. Do it, right? Fine. But this is true glory. When you see God himself nailed to a cross to die for you. That's glory. But there's a second thing, a new command. You see, Jesus is very clear that He's leaving. He says, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. And he says, a new command I give you. Now imagine, right? I imagine I hadn't read it yet. He said, a new command I give you. Ooh, a new command. Exciting. This is going to be interesting because there's a lot of commands in the Old Testament. What's he going to come up with that's new? And they're all sitting there going, I wonder if he paused. I think I'd have paused just for people to begin to think, a new command. What could it possibly be? And then he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. And they go, you're kidding, you're kidding right? Come on, that. is that it? What's new about that? That's all over the place. In fact, Jesus, you've already told us that you can sum up the Old Testament law by love God and love one another. This isn't new, Jesus. Why are you calling this a new command? Okay, here's why. This isn't new in the sense that no one's ever heard of this before. It's new in the sense that no one's ever seen it like this before. You see, this is a new command because they're about to see a brand, it's two reasons I think it's new. There's a new command because it's, they're about to see love redefined, love reshaped, love of an order that you've never seen before. If you go back to the marathon, which is slightly on my mind today, this isn't love that's slightly better than anyone else has ever done it before. This isn't love that shaved, you know, 30 seconds off the world record. This isn't love that shaved an hour off the world record. This is love that has never, ever been seen before. Yes, there's love all around, right? Love is all around us. I feel it in my fingers. It doesn't matter. The... um Yes, there's love all around us. We're we're in a world that's full of love because we're created by God of love, but we're about to witness love ah, of a different order. When Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, that is a new command. They've not seen his love fully. And yet back at the start of chapter 13, We read that verse, didn't we, It says that Jesus is going to love them to the end. Jesus loves them to the end. He goes right the way to the finishing line. He loves them completely, eternally, fully, infinitely. And as Jesus goes to die on a cross, what you are witnessing is the God of glory, the creator God, stepping down across a chasm that you can't even begin to fathom how big that is. And sometimes we sort of, you know, I've heard preachers say things like, look, imagine that, you know, imagine I could shrink down to be an ant and then I become an ant and I go to the ants and I die for the ants. You know, because that's the chasm right between me and an ant. That's nothing like the chasm between me and God. I am so close to like being like an ant compared to the distance. The distance between me and an ant is minuscule compared to the distance between me and God. He stepped down across a chasm that we could never comprehend. He's the infinite, eternal creator of the universe. And he became a tiny little baby. He became a corpse. Agony on a cross. This is love that you've never seen before. This is love. We may say, well, that's impossible. Yes. Yes. This is a command that you cannot obey. Love one another. You can't love one another like Jesus has loved you. No way. Except for the second thing that makes this new. And that is that there's going to be a new power to enable you to obey. You see, the coming of Jesus brings in what is called a new covenant, a new era, a new moment in time. You see, the trouble was there was loads of commands. And yes, there was a command to love one another, love one another, love one another. But people couldn't do it. Because their hearts were hard. Their hearts were unchanged. And so what God promised is that someone would come, would die on a cross, and then that, that moment in time would lead to the pouring out of the Spirit who would then change our hearts and enable us and empower us to love in a way we've never loved before. There's a new power that accompanies this new command. And so Jesus says, I want you to love like this. You go, I can't. Great, you're right. So ask God by his spirit to enable you to love like this. It isn't enough for us to go, oh, Jesus said love one another. I should try and be kind to people. No, he's calling you to love one another like he's loved you. It's not enough to kind of put up with one another. It's not enough to say, well, there's someone in church. I don't really like them, so I'll just avoid them. That's not okay. That's not how God treated us. God didn't sit in heaven and go, well, those little ants down there, I don't really like them. They have offended me, and they've sinned against me, so I'll tell you what, I'll just ignore them. He didn't ignore us. He came down to die for us. It's not okay to say, well, I don't really get on with it. I'll just ignore them. You can't unless you want to disobey his command. And then you say, but that's impossible. Yes, I know it's impossible. And that's why you say, Jesus, I can't do that. I'm so sorry that I can't do that. But I pray you'd give me your spirit to help me. And that's why verse 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because there's plenty of places you can go and find people who are kind to each other. Right? There's plenty of places you can go there's lots of clubs and societies. You can go to park run. I'm obsessed with running today. You can go to parkrun. They have a great community. Everyone's really kind to each other. And in a lot of ways, it feels like church. Here's my thing. If it feels like church, that's a problem. Because it means we're selling short of what we're supposed to be. There's supposed to be something unique. What is it that's unique about us? It's that we love like Jesus loved us. We need to let his power shape our love for one another. But I said the third point was going to be most important, and we haven't got there yet. Ah, Right. So, a new glory. Let's see his glory. It's magnificent. A new command. Let's hear this command that comes with a power, and then a new confidence. Simon, Peter, bless him. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Really. You, You know, you're you're hearing this stuff. It's just completely mind blowing. Jesus said this new command stuff. He's like, hang on, can we backtrack? Because you just said you were going somewhere. I, he, does, he ignores the new command. Do you notice? He just goes, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, right? Jesus goes, I'm going to be glorified and glorified. The Father's going to glorify me and da-da-da-da. And you've got to love one of them. new command. And Peter goes, where are you going? What, what's, what are you talking about? See, it's so all over the place. And, and Simon Peter, I think, is a lot like... Us. Jesus says to him, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you fo- will follow later. And Jesus, Peter's like, well, why can't I follow you now? He's like a little kid. can I just come? And then he says, I will lay down my life for you. I think Peter meant it. I think Peter in that moment really, really loves Jesus. I think he meant it. But his problem is that his confidence is in himself. I'll do that. Do you know what Jesus has said just a couple of chapters earlier in John 10? I'm the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, I will lay down my life for you. Peter says to him, I'll lay down my life for you. He says, "No. Peter, you cannot do that. You, your confidence in yourself is misplaced. You need me to lay down my life for you." And so Jesus de- delivers these devastating words. Then Jesus answered, "Will you really lay down your life for me?" Can you imagine the pain, right? This is very emotional as Jesus looks into the eyes of this precious disciple who's declared his undying love for Jesus and he says, Peter, very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. You say that you'll lay down your life for me, Peter, and I believe that you would, but you don't have the strength and you will disown me. And then something terrible happens. Someone comes along and puts a great big number 14 on the page. <laughs> I mean, what the heck is that doing there? What was the point of that? Because it means you think that that's the end of the conversation. Right, so someone, and they put a little heading, and it's like, oh, cut off. Right? That's the end of Peter. Look what Jesus says next. There's no break, right? The, John didn't break it up into chapters. Someone did that. And largely speaking, it's helpful because it helps us to find our way around. But sometimes it's so annoying because look what Jesus says. He's still talking to his disciple, to Peter. He says, you're going to disown me three times. You can imagine Peter's swirling emotion. Going, what? And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. You, my disciple, who's fragile and weak and who's going to fail me, don't let your heart be troubled. That's what John 14 is about. It's not just the nice, oh, don't let your heart be troubled. It's to the failing disciple who's about to be told, you're going to, you're going to fail me, Peter. But don't let your heart be troubled. And I want you to notice how different this is to Judas. You see, you remember what Jesus said to Judas? You're going to, you're going to betray me. To Peter, Jesus says, you believe, Peter, you believe in God, believe also in me, Judas never believed, we saw that last week, Peter, you believe, and this is where, if there are some of us sitting here, and perhaps on last week we were unsettled, and we think, I'm all over the place as a Christian, I get it wrong all the time, I stuff up, perhaps I'm Judas, perhaps I'm going to betray Jesus, perhaps I'm going to be the one who's lost forever, and I think Jesus looks at you and says, no, no, no. If you're worried about that, you're Peter. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. You give up on your trust in yourself. Believe in me. And then Jesus utters some of the, word, the most beautiful words in the whole of Scripture My father's house has many rooms. Do you want to know where I'm going, Peter? Do you want to know where, where I'm going? Going to my father's house. There's many, many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? You're going to listen to this. You've got to get this right. You've got to get this. He's, he says to him, You're going to disown me three times, and I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. <laughs> what a king! And what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you? What's he talking about? I used to think for many years I had this little idea that Jesus was going to go off to heaven, to his father's house, and was going to get the the room ready, you know, get some flowers, maybe some chocolates on the bed, you know, that sort of thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Where's Jesus going? How is Jesus going to go to his father's house? How is he going to prepare a place? He's going to go via the cross, he's going to die. How does Jesus prepare a place for someone like Peter, a failure like Peter? How does Jesus prepare a place for him? He dies on a cross for him. You see, a place in the Father's house is bought with the blood of Jesus for Peter. That's why Peter doesn't need to let his heart be troubled. That's why Peter's failure won't deny him a place in his Father's house. And it's why it won't deny you a place either. Your sin, your failure... You're letting Jesus down will not disqualify you from the Father's house because Jesus has prepared a place for you. He's going to die. And here's the promise then in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I don't know what you think of as heaven. What do you imagine heaven is like Do you ever imagine it as a house, a home? We're going to be at home. God's house. And the greatest thing about heaven in God's house is that we'll be with Jesus. There's some places where the Bible talks about heaven as a new creation, a new world. There's some places that talk about heaven as a new garden. There's some places that talk about heaven as a new city. And there's some places that talk about heaven as That's what Jesus is promising us. And he guarantees it because he is the way. Look, I, oh man, we've covered so much stuff. Thank you for your patience and listening. Um, I, I just want to land this and ask you, where is your confidence this afternoon? Do you feel a bit wobbly like Peter? <laughs> Sometimes you sit in church and go, yeah, yeah, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I'll die for you. I'll go and tell all my friends. And then the first person you are, you And you just feel so rubbish and so weak. And Jesus looks at you and says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. He's preparing a room for you. He's prepared a room for you. If you believe in him, he's died on a cross. He's made it ready. It's ready for you. (coughs) You know that moment when you go to a, like, perhaps you go to a wedding and there's a table list and you look at the list of names. Is it just me? Or there's always that moment of, is my name on the list? Was I ever invited to this wedding? And it's just such a relief when your name's there. Do you know, when you die and when you go to be with him and you look at the list of names, your name will be there. A room with your name on the door. It's yours guaranteed and it's where you will be with him forever this is the one moment in time Jesus says all of that hangs on this moment now is he glorified now there's a new commandment to love one another, now there's a new confidence in what Jesus has done don't let your hearts be troubled why don't we pray let's pray and ask that God would help us Heavenly Father, we pray this afternoon that you would help us. Lord, we've covered so much stuff, and I guess we can't take all of this in. So we pray that in these moments, your spirit would take something, something of this truth, some of these words of Jesus, and that you would take individually those words and apply them to different hearts in this room. That your spirit would right now be speaking to different people, emphasizing different things that they need to know, and that each of us would hear this voice of Jesus speaking to us just as he spoke to Peter and that we might know him. Lord, help us, we pray in his precious name.